Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. The Big Ten is not planning to play football this fall, at least not the start of this fall, but no conference has been in the news more over the last couple of weeks. The Big Ten's postponement of the college football season has brought on criticism and confusion and a lawsuit and some belated transparency and, of course, it got dragged into politics. My guest to talk about all of this is Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. He has been covering the Big Ten for years. We'll talk about how a conference known for unity became fractured. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, Teddy Greenstein from the Chicago Tribune. He has been covering the Big Ten for quite a long time, and since the Big Ten's been in the news a lot. Teddy, man, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you coming on and giving us a little time and a little insight. Ralph, probably better to talk uh, Big Ten football than uh, our J-E-T-S, yes, yes, yes. That's a, a really sad conversation. The Big Ten is at least an intriguing one. Yeah, we'll commiserate on the Jets maybe toward the end of this a little bit. You, you've, you've been a little bit more of a dedicated fan than I have over the last few years. I still absolutely am a Jets fan, but I think you emotionally invest yourself more than I do, where I tend to check out early in seasons. <laughs> We're very close because I usually last about three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. We had scheduled this interview with Teddy a couple days out. And in that time, there has still been more and more and more Big Ten news. Even before we were supposed to record this podcast, we almost had to postpone it for a little bit because now the president of the United States is actually involved in the Big Ten, or at least somewhat involved in that he had a call with Kevin Warren. The president tweeted about it. Uh, The Big Ten acknowledged it, called it a productive call. Let's work a little bit backwards here, though. We'll, We'll get to the president jumping in on this. You made an interesting point last week in one of your columns about sort of like where the leadership lies in the Big Ten right now and, you know, who's pulling in what direction. That was never really much of an issue in the Big Ten. To me, that's sort of the crux of this whole thing here of what's the matter with the Big Ten. Who's trying to sort of grab power here in the Big Ten? (laughs) Ralph, uh, I thought I needed to ask that question because you know, so many of us were writing about the plans that were being hatched by coaches and athletic directors. So, you know, I think some people read that column and were like, oh, that's so rough on Kevin Warren. But I meant it legitimately. I mean, who's calling the shot? If it's the coaches and athletic directors, there's going to be football. If it is the medical folk and the chancellors and presidents, there's not going to be football for at least a little while. Or is it just Kevin Warren? You know, at this point, how much power does he have? Do the schools basically say, well, Kevin believes we should do this, so we follow along? Like, that's how it got with Jim Delaney, as you well know. Jim was obviously there for 30 years. He had a lot of unusual ideas, you know, everything from legends and leaders to playing the men's basketball tournament at Madison Square Garden to adding Nebraska, to adding Maryland and Rutgers. And I think at at a certain point, all the schools just said, whatever Jim says, we do. (laughs) It's obviously not like that with Kevin right now. Yesterday it was revealed that the vote was 11-3, to with Ohio State, Iowa, and Nebraska being the three that wanted to play. 
So who has the power and how is this going to get decided? And then, of course, are we going to get swayed or are they going to get swayed by political pressure? Right. So my feeling throughout a lot of this has been that, listen, it's indisputable that the Big Ten has handled this poorly, not necessarily their decision, but the rollout of their decision. It sounds like from reading your stuff and your tweets and things along those lines, I feel like you've been sort of on board with that same thing. That's been the general consensus. I actually, you know what? I don't want to put words in your mouth. That's my feeling that, again, like not necessarily that they did the wrong thing, but they rolled out their decision poorly. I'm wondering what your what your feeling is on that. The messaging has been an absolute disaster. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it started with rolling out a schedule and getting fans excited. And then on August 11th, Kevin Warren, um, you know, announcing the decision, but doing really a very poor job in his interview with Dave Rebson. Um, very, very few specifics. You know, you, you can't just come out and say, well, we're in a pandemic. Well, everybody knows we're in a pandemic. You needed to give specific information about why the decision was being made and why the decision was being made then. And they had good reason. They felt it was unsafe to begin full contact practices. And they were getting all this information from their medical advisors that said it wasn't safe. And I think that's a very fair stance. But Kevin, um, you know, he, he also did some media interviews. I talked to him that day. A couple mm -hmm. other people yep, did. Me but too. He, he was just too vague. And then he waits eight days. And in those eight days, all this, you know, rancor builds among players, parents, coaches so that was way too long to wait also the internal messaging in the league was awful because you've got the minnesota president and the penn state athletic director who are saying i don't even know if a vote was taken so just an incredibly poor job you know both externally and internally on the decision how much do the presidents themselves have to sort of take the blame for this you know the biggest thing that was notable to me on the day of the decision was the contrast with the pac-12 where the pac-12 had larry scott an athletic director a, a, a university president and a doctor with him right. taking questions and clearly they didn't do that you know the obviously the big 10 did not do that but i would just also wonder like wouldn't the presidents at some point want to show some some solidarity and also some unity or just want to back up their guy. Uh, and, and that's the thing that has been puzzling to me, that they left yeah. him hanging out to dry for so long before finally you had a little here. Right. The Minnesota president, I think Michigan's uh, Michigan State's president had a comment. So it started to trickle out a little bit. Penn State's president, but there was never a, a real show of force behind Warren to say, hey, it's, it wasn't his decision. It was us. So back off. No, honestly, Ralph, I'm not surprised that they haven't done that. I mean, I see it's like a board of trustees and a CEO and the board of trustees makes the decision. And then it's up to the CEO to, you know, put forth that decision and explain it. These guys don't want to be front and center like Morty Shapiro at Northwestern. He's got a whole campus to worry about, and he has decided that you know freshmen and sophomores are not going to be on campus at Northwestern, at least for the fall quarter. He has so much other stuff that he's dealing with, stuff that's even bigger than the football decision, that no, he doesn't want to get out there and start answering questions and then get ripped on all sides. So that's 
Kevin Warren's job. Kevin Warren is out there. He's the commissioner, and he has communications people who are supposed to put him in a good position to explain the decision. So the coaches are basically pushing to go as quickly as possible because that's what you want. That's what you think coaches are going to do, right? They want to keep their teams together, especially coaches who have really good teams like at Ohio State and Penn State. Again, as we said last week, there was this sort of flurry of like, you know, leaks and they're talking about this and they're talking about that. But on that, you're right. That's coming from athletic directors and coaches. Meanwhile, none of that stuff is going to happen unless the president sign off. Meanwhile, the ADs are also working the TV side of things and trying to figure out when logistically this could work. Because it's great for the coaches to say as soon as possible, but like there's a whole bunch of things that go into as soon as possible. When you sort of step back from all of that, what do you think is a reasonable expectation of when a Big Ten football season could be – let me put it this way. When they yeah. bring forth a plan for a Big Ten football season, because even when they bring forth a plan, it probably it's not going to be a done deal. But what would you think that plan could be and when? Like time frame well, on that. I, I love the whole January, February season concept. And then I spoke to a coach yesterday and he said actually their goal would be to start it on the weekend after after Christmas. Now, Christmas falls on a Friday, so I guess they're talking about, you know, 26th, potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, But it makes a ton of sense to me. What the coaches are really talking about is, you know, they don't want to do anything to put the 2021 season in jeopardy. They want to have a normal 2021. So they're working backwards. Well, you can't do it in the spring. You, you, You can't have football in March and April. First of all, you know, the best players on every team are going to sit out uh, especially, you know, the draft eligible guys. And I don't think you can have two football seasons within the span of whatever that would be, you know, seven, eight months. All right. So then we, then we walk backwards. Let's talk about January and February. I think it's, it would be tremendous because the TV partners would love it. You know, what else is on then? Obviously you've got NFL on Sundays, but at that point, you know, you've got some bowl games and then some playoffs, but, but those are tend to not even be weekends. So you could really dominate TV. So you could get a lot of your money back, and, and clearly these schools need the revenue. And I think a lot of players would opt to play. I mean, if it's January and February and the draft is not till April, um, I can see where a lot would opt in. I think it's incredibly important for the Big Ten to come out with a schedule before the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 play because it is going to be the most brutal fall of all time for Big Ten players, coaches, and fans watching these other leagues play. Yeah, I got the impression from talking to some folks about the Big Ten that the next step will look like here is a plan to play. Here's our here's our plan, like our schedule framework. Here's how it's going to work. But we are working on dual tracks here. And here is also this plan of what needs to happen with the pandemic. Here's a bunch of benchmarks that need to happen within these states because they did not do this when they when they originally put out the schedule. And it, again, it's sort of left like, here's a schedule. Now we're going to play. My impression was they want to sort of be able to say, here's what we would like to do, but here's what has to happen for it to happen on the field. Yeah. And look, Ralph, as you know, the situation in Iowa seems to be quite dire. Serious right. breakouts, I think, you know, most significantly around Iowa State, but certainly Iowa City, where, where, where that campus is. And, and I think 
you know, medical professionals within the Big Ten are probably pointing to that and saying, you know, this is why we're so concerned that when students were coming back, the infection numbers were really going to rise. And, you know, we were already seeing that in the Big Ten in places like Michigan State and Rutgers, which were struggling, you know, just to hold a practice. I mean, when you've got 10, 20, 30 kids uh, who have tested positive for COVID and you can't practice, uh, it was certainly going to put some of those early games in jeopardy. So, I think now they have to look at the numbers on these campuses. They have to see what's realistic. Obviously, the coaches want to play as soon as possible. But to me, if you wait until essentially end of December, that means you can start your next training camp around Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be when the vast majority of these campuses are basically empty, right? I mean, the students are going to be going back home. Yeah, there's your bubble. For Mm -hmm. a long stretch. So that is when you can get things going and ramp it up in uh, late November, early December, and and get them ready to play at the end of December. Do you think this idea of the domes, because that's been out there for a while, and it doesn't yeah. it, it doesn't seem like it's died down? Do you think that is a viable option? Thousand percent. Okay. That's where you'd play. That's the what game. they're going to do. And, and I mean, okay. and there's some great ones. Obviously, Indianapolis, where they have the Big Ten title game every year. You know, Minnesota, a place that Kevin Warren, you know, helped get built. That's a beautiful facility. Detroit, some other ones. Um, absolutely. I think that's how they would do it. That's also interesting because then it makes it a little easier on the TV partners as well. You could essentially send somebody, uh, you know, a crew to Indianapolis and knock out, you know, three games in the course of two days or something along those lines. You play a doubleheader one day and maybe a Friday night game. Um, and you have all these exclusive TV windows too, which is, I'm sure, pretty alluring to Fox and the TV partners. Yes, exactly. Uh, I think they would love to have some inventory then. You know, you're talking about January, February. What do you got? You know, you've got NFL on Sundays, but what are your Saturdays? College basketball games that don't rate particularly well. Absolutely, they'd love to have some football games. Let me let me ask you this: a bigger picture question on Kevin Warren. Clearly, he got he got a tough draw, right? Like he's guy yeah, walking into awesome. this, walking into a job that he's never done before, and it's also and it's been maybe the biggest crisis in the history of college sports. Really, I mean, just yeah, yeah. probably the biggest crisis in the history of college sports. So, let me ask you a couple of different things on Warren. A, do you think? this puts him in some kind of trouble. I mean, he's only he's a very new commissioner. The Big Ten doesn't seem like a league that would be very rash. But has it been such a bad deal that you think that maybe either he would say, hey, I don't know if this is what I want to be doing, or the relationships are sort of like are bad from the start so they can't be fixed? Do you think this is a long-term problem for Kevin Warren? I, I don't think so. I, I mean, long term's a little trickier, um, right. but in terms of this, no. I mean, it's certainly not going to make him think he can't do the job or step down. It is crazy to think that um, you know this is a more difficult thing to deal with than say Penn State and Joe Paterno. I mean, that seemed to be you know, the largest controversy we could ever imagine, and this one is even dicier because America is so split right now. And there's no way for Kevin to appease both sides. And now the president, President Trump, is is applying pressure. So it's absolutely brutal. Um, hopefully he learns from this just from a, you know, from a PR perspective in terms of getting the right people around him. But no, I think he feels very good about his decision not to play. Now, he probably felt that the ACC then would also not play. Mm-hmm. And then the SEC and Big 12 and, and the Big 10 was going to look smart for being, you know, the first one to shut it down. But as it turns out, obviously, those leagues are going to try to give it a go. With the idea that he 
has is a newcomer to this group, to this commissioner's group. Because that's another thing that's I think has also worked against him to a certain degree yeah. is listen, just relationships in general, relationships within the conference and without. Did he either read the room differently or, or as far as the, the rest of the landscape of college football? Or maybe was he did you, was your impression at all that he maybe wasn't in as tuned into these guys? In other words, because he's not as close with them, even though he's having, you know, they were, they're, they're, the P5 conferences have been saying that they have been talking constantly, right? We've been hearing that all throughout this whole thing. We, we talk right. uh, once, twice, three times a week. But because he isn't necessarily close to these guys because he hasn't been working with them for a long time did that put him at a disadvantage as far as again reading the room and maybe understanding that they really did need to move more in unison very possible ralph you know let's say jim delaney was still there and he had certainly long-standing relationships with all the uh commissioners of the power five conferences he certainly would have known what they were going to do. Now, it's possible that Kevin Warren just felt so strongly based on the medical information that it didn't matter what those other leagues were going to do. Obviously, he knew the Pac-12 was going to be with him. Uh, but maybe he thought, hey, if the Big 12 thinks it's going to play, go right ahead. That's not going to affect our decision. But it is entirely possible that, you know, the fact that Kevin comes from an NFL background and, you know, has not been on the job very long influenced how he played this. Yeah, and there's also something that should be pointed out for the people who want to fire Kevin Warren. Kevin Warren works for the presidents, and if Kevin Warren is being used as a shield for the presidents, they might not necessarily think that's a bad thing. So (laughs) as long as he is executing their plan, even if they get some blowback, ultimately his job is to take this heat. They might not necessarily believe Kevin Warren is doing a bad job. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they are disappointed in in the rollout, right? Because right. there's been so no much doubt. confusion, no and, doubt. And, and you know, w- w- when the president of Minnesota says, "Oh, I don't know if there was a vote," it's like, how does that happen? How how are they so disjointed at that point that even internally they don't know what to say? Do you think this lawsuit by the Nebraska players has any legs? I mean, I, if nothing else, it rattled the cage enough to get some information out, like that vote that came out yesterday, and it, and, and it could end up being almost like a FOIA, frankly. But I, right. do, you think, do you think it has the has the ability to do more than that? I don't, but God bless those guys. I mean, obviously, Dan Patrick had reported the vote was 12 to 2, and then uh, Tim Brando had reported the vote was 8 to 6. Yeah. I think we all knew that was definitely not accurate so if not for that lawsuit the league i don't believe would have come out and said it was 11-3 it's possible they would have because there are some new communications people that kevin is working with and they might have said hey this is just going to be a lot easier if you say it's 11-3 even if the schools don't necessarily want you to so um yeah i mean i'm appreciative of that lawsuit i don't think it's going anywhere because clearly 11 out of 14 is greater than 60%, and the Big Ten bylaws stipulate 60%, but uh, certainly got some information out and some transparency, and that was part of what they were asking for. So where they are now, or where they are today, is also now in the middle of a political fight as well. Yeah. So what, let's just wrap up because for some people who might be listening to this within the next, you know, 24 hours of recording, this you might we might actually be giving them a little news. So the the president of the United States uh tweeted earlier today, I had a great conversation with Kevin Warren. 
looking to bring the Big Ten football back as quickly as possible, and a reference to uh, we're on the one-yard line. The Big Ten acknowledges that that conversation went on and then doesn't say much more than that. So just you know, bring us up to speed on that. Exactly. The Big Ten um, says, obviously, the conversation took place. In, somewhat interestingly, it said the White House reached out to Kevin Warren to make the conversation happen. Not surprising, but a good detail there. Mm -hmm. And I think the key verbiage is that it wants to return at the appropriate time, Mm -hmm. you know, when it is safe to return. So what's the appropriate time, right? Donald Trump thinks tomorrow is appropriate. Uh, The coaches, I think, would would say four to five weeks. Just give us long enough to get our Right, 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 right. Uh, What do the doctors say? What are the president say, what do the chancellors say? What's the appropriate time? I, Ralph, I really don't think that the Big Ten can play football in the next couple months. I, I mean, they've really doubled down now, especially with the news yesterday, where they said, look, we took our best medical advice, and the decision was, the vote was 11 to 3. I don't think they can turn around now and say, let's play ball. But I think they can come out and say, you know, with, with help and testing, with uh, improvements in testing, we can get back to training camp in November and hope to play a schedule that starts late December or January. That is feasible in my mind. We'll figure out what an appropriate time is eventually, because again, I think that they're going to probably come down with some type of announcement that says, here's what we want. Here's, here's the framework of what we, where we want to play and how. Let's talk about the political side of this, though. Obviously, the president weighs in because he sees, I believe, you know, some swing states there where, where he might be able to appease some voters. And quite frankly, the Democrats on the other side, former Vice President Joe Biden, the Democratic hopeful, they've tried to pin this cancellation on the Republicans and Trump. So it has truly become a, a, a political football. The president is not really is not only inserting himself into this, but he's also responding to some attacks here where they're saying where they've run some ads showing empty stadiums and saying this yes. is why you don't have this. I'm That's wondering right. how that could play out from sort of the pressure that these schools and chancellors are feeling from their constituents, because I'm sure that has complicated a lot of what's going on in the Big Ten, too. It's so true. And a political football, indeed, when uh, I'm looking at the ad right now, I had seen it until uh, until now I heard about it. And I think it's very effective. And I think it's just one of those now, who do you blame? So the Republicans and Trump are going to blame the Democrats and say, oh, open up the stadiums. Everything's fine. And obviously the Democrats and people who are more into science are going to say, hey, we've had since March to try to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And what kind of improvements or, or, or what kind of improvements have we made in testing? And, you know, how have we failed so badly in terms of contact tracing? And how come other countries have gotten their numbers under control. How come the English Premier League is able to play? Like everything in 2020, it comes down to your political views. And it just goes to show again how how much we love college football as a nation. You know, I had to chuckle, obviously, a month or so ago when the governor of Mississippi is tweeting, hey, if you want football as much as I do, wear your mask. It's like, well, that would have been a great message in May. I mean, (laughs) I guess it's better now than, than never. But it really is college football that is getting people to say we, we've either completely screwed this up and we should be farther along or why won't the Democrats do the right thing and and, and play college football? Yeah. And the other interesting thing now, too, is, um, you know, 
we're still not completely, I mean, listen, the season games will be played, right? Games are going to be played as soon as two days from now. We're going to have some Conference USA games, and I think the American may have a couple of games being played. And I would be very, 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 very surprised if the ACC doesn't kick off on September 12th. Uh, the Big Ten has a uh, Big 12, excuse me, has some games that day. And then on September 26th, we just, in fact, the, all the TV networks rolled out their schedules today of when they're going to be putting these games on. ESPN, CBS laid out its first four or five uh, SEC games. So I would be shocked at this point if we didn't see college football games played over the next month. Yeah. Fact of the matter is, though, there is still this idea that, like, you know, I think even Greg Sankey, if you pinged him down right now, would say, you know, we're planning to play. We're moving towards playing. I, yes. I, I think there is at least still, as much as I, I believe that there will be games played, that the season will start, I think there is at least, a you know, a, a small smidgen of chance that something goes wrong between now and when the big leagues kick off. And I think the larger question is, will they finish? And how much the, and what this season will look like when you've talked to all the people that you talk to around the Big Ten and other places and all the you know areas where where you're talking to coaches and talking to ads. What what is the sense you're getting about whether that not whether the season is going to start, but how the season will go and if it will finish. And Ralph, that's where I, I think the Big Ten decide you know in deciding to pull the plug on fall football. I think part of the motivation was, oh, my God, if we try this, what is the possible threshold? How are we going to decide when not to play? And everything I've gathered from the leagues, that's what they're deciding now. Is it going to be based on each team's position group? I mean, if you know LSU has six offensive linemen who test positive, is that enough to uh, delay a game? Is that enough to postpone a game? Such interesting questions. I think we're going to be hearing from those leagues soon, and I don't know if they're going to be concrete set in stone plans and our walk-ons going to be included. You know, if, if you need a certain number of healthy players, you know, by, by scrapping the fall, the Big Ten certainly said we're not going to make this a week-to-week issue. You know, back to one thing with Kevin Warren. He thought his decision was going to be celebrated because unlike every other decision that's made in sports these days, it was not about the money. Right. That's a good I point. Mean, they're yes. giving up hundreds of millions of dollars uh, <laughs> in the in the vein of safety for the the players. Instead, he got caught flat footed because you know because the other leagues are playing and be, because fans just want to see football. So so much here to digest. But but it will be incredibly interesting to see how the SEC, ACC, and Big Twelve what kind of decisions they make in terms of when potentially to pull plug the pull the plug on games. Yeah, I got the impression leading up to the Big Tens and even the Pac-12's decision that there was a discussion going on within the Big, Big Ten about almost it, the the conversation may have been framed a little more than in the other leagues. Is this worth saving? Like, in other right. words, are we going to get a season? Are we going to go into this thing and actually get a season that was worth putting all this effort into because it's going to get ugly and break down. And not to mention, of course, you're putting people's, you know, health at risk. I mean, even besides that, but like, but the idea of, of would it be worth saving, I thought was an interesting part of the big tens conversation that seemed to be a little different than the other conferences along the lines of, you know, when do you cancel a game and, and things along that? I find that to be really fascinating because I know there have been yeah. reports about the number of players that have to be available. But 
I mean, this is college football. It's not the number of players. It's the quality of your players, right? Do walk-ons count? Because if you're Kansas State, you can't go play Texas with right. a bunch of walk-ons and and nothing but freshmen. I mean, this that's a health and safety issue. So the yeah. idea that there would be a specific number, I find almost like, I don't even know if that matters. I, I feel like this has to be almost a case by, you can set certain parameters, but I think ultimately that has to be a case by case deal, doesn't it? Well, but how can you do that then? I mean, so if, uh, you know, if LSU is about to play Mississippi State, can Mississippi State say on Wednesday, oh, sorry, man, two of our top five offensive linemen are out, so we have to postpone the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is, right. How do you do that? So you probably have to have something clear. Right. Um, that's the other, the way, that's yeah. the other, right. That is the other issue too, because if I'm uh Lincoln Riley, do I want to put my star quarterback or anybody with star quarterback behind a, 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 a liability of an offensive line for one yeah. game, but Hey, if that's what has to happen, is it really fair that you can avoid that? Exactly. And, and by the way, Ralph, offensive line, defensive line, that's the group that concerned me because yeah, I think everybody, seen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the bigger athletes, the bigger people in our society are the ones that are more at risk. And, you know, one thing that Big Ten folk mentioned yesterday in relation to that lawsuit, they're not not only worried about the health and safety of players, but coaches who are older, referees, you know, it's sort of all the people that fans don't really see. They can still say, oh, you know, 99 point whatever percent of players would be okay with COVID. Of course, we don't know that to be true, but but they contend that. But there are a lot of older folks that are involved in the game, and they didn't want to put them at risk either. Well, there's also the the idea of, of sort of thinking globally, right? Like, you know, anything you're doing that could possibly contribute to the pandemic in any way yeah. is something you shouldn't be doing. And that's been a struggle for this country in a lot of different ways. And I understand the struggle. It's hard. I mean, my wife's an epidemiologist. She deals with some oh. of this in in New York City when working for the Department of Health, when they like, how okay, how do you sort of draw the line of what's essential? And yes, it's important to put kids back in school, but do you want to spike cases and blah, blah, blah. So I understand right. that, that there are legitimately nuanced conversations to have about all those things. We don't tend to have them in this country. We don't have very nuanced conversations. Seriously. We pick sides and run into each other with like rams. But oh, listen, one other thing I wanted to ask you about as far as transparency in the Big Ten. So we saw them come out with the vote. Do you think there's there's any plans? And I haven't ga- I've gathered there might be, but but you know again, you you always know this league a little better than I that there might be more steps towards showing their hand a little bit as far as what the medical advice they were looking at because they made reference to it in the loss right. in their response to the lawsuit about how some of the things that were being said about a particular report about myocarditis that was being portrayed in sort of the media, social media sphere as being a really important part of the Big Ten's decision, maybe not wasn't as much of a big part. Do you anticipate them being maybe a little more transparent when it comes to the medical advice that they were given? It's possible, but they've had so many chances to do it already. (laughs) Right. You didn't do it on the 11th and the 18th, and you didn't do a ton yesterday. I mean, there certainly was some more information and concern about myocarditis, but, you know, I think at this point we all basically know what they were going with um look if they want to give more specifics be our guest you know if they want to say hey we're pointing to iowa and we're looking at rutgers and michigan state and and campuses like that go ahead be specific you know uh i think the more information the better at this point 
Okay, so there is going to be a football season, as we said. It's going to include Notre Dame playing as a as a member of the ACC, which is weird. Um, but I imagine you being in Chicago and Northwestern taking a break and the rest of the Big Ten, um, I'm sure your attention might be on on Notre Dame a little more than it usually would. It always has a le- at least a little bit of attention on Notre Dame where you are, uh, but maybe a little more than usual. I think you were on that call today with uh, with Brian Kelly checking in on the Irish. What is your sense just of the idea of Notre Dame playing in the ACC? Do you think Notre Dame fans are pumped up for this? Do you think that uh, they're interested to see what their team will look like in, in, in an ACC setting? Absolutely. And yeah, this is kind of getting back to my roots. I mean, the Tribune hired me when I was 23, and I covered Notre Dame as a beat in 1996 and 97. So I had Lou Holtz's last year and Bob Davies first. And absolutely, man, they're the only game in town. So as long as they're playing, I'm going to, and as long as they're playing and winning and compelling, then uh, there'll certainly be a lot of Notre Dame coverage for me. You know, I think the fans are just grateful that they're playing. They're not going to be all choosy at this point and be all disappointed that they're not playing Navy and, and USC. They're just thrilled at their games. Uh, I'm sure they'd be more thrilled if they were letting some of them into the stadium. But Notre Dame probably wisely is really only allowing, you know, parents and, and, and students and staff and faculty into uh, the games in Notre Dame Stadium. So, um, yeah, I don't think they're they're complaining at all, man. Still got Clemson, still got Florida State, still got a lot of compelling teams in the ACC. If they can pull off that schedule, uh, it would be certainly um, impressive and hopefully entertaining. And I think they have a chance to be pretty good again. It's interesting, you know. Again, I know you 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 haven't been on the Notre Dame beat, but listen, we all pay close attention to Notre Dame. You know, Kelly has got them to a point where, you know, I understand that there's a frustration that they're not contending for national championships in in a real true way like Alabama and Clemson do, even though they made a playoff appearance a couple of years ago. But, you know, I've always found Kelly to be one of the more now at at a point now where he's almost underappreciated at Notre Dame. I'm wondering what your impressions are over his run and where he's gotten them. Yeah, I mean, the 2018 season was amazing. And I, I know people like to crap on Notre Dame because then they got blown out in the bowl game, but but it was by a great team. And I, I really think that team, you know, should be celebrated more than it was. It, it's so rough. You know, you, you, you go 12-0. and 0, Of course, you're going to have a segment on Twitter saying, oh, they're overrated. And then as soon as they, you know, lose badly, people are saying, oh, see, they shouldn't have been in the playoff. Well, that's just a moronic take. I mean, they went 12-0 and against a really good schedule. They mm-hmm. absolutely should be in the playoff. Um, there's no question about that. So, yeah, I mean, last season uh, fell short a little bit, a couple disappointing games. Uh, but obviously, Ian Book is back. It's a good team. I think it's a team that is viewed as a playoff contender, but not a championship contender. Um, still not as good as the best. That the AC that the SEC can produce, and uh, probably not the Clemson can produce. But um, hey, I've been there for a lot of bad years. You know, whether <laughs> it was Charlie Weiss or, or or the fall of Tyrone Willingham. So absolutely, people should appreciate uh, you know ten win seasons and better. Okay, so last thing is, I don't know if you had a chance to follow much up on the, on our Jets. 
and, and figure out if they're going to be any good. You know, it's been weird. I think for all sports fans, our calendars have been thrown off so badly. So yeah. I'm I'm very much enjoying the playoff hockey, especially with the my my Islanders. I, I'm a fair weather Islander fan, but I'm back on board the bandwagon, and they're doing nicely. And the NBA, I don't have necessarily a rooting interest in, but I you know it's fun to watch. But because all that's going on, it's like oh yeah, and then there's NFL games. They're going to start in two weeks. What what right. the end like like that? They just sort of snuck up on us. Um, we hope that they'll do okay with with COVID and whatnot. Um, have you even ma- managed to take a peek at what what's going on with the Jets? Do you have any idea if they're going to be any good this year? I think they're going to be awful this year. What a <laughs> shock! Um, I mean, la- the second half of last year was so strange. What did they win? Seven of their last nine. I mean, it was you know winning games that all it does is hurt your draft stock. Um, so they won a bunch of games last year. I'm still really not a believer in Adam Gase. Uh, I don't know if you saw a couple of days ago. I guess he said Le'Veon Bell was hurt. Le'Veon tweeted that he's not. Now they're having a clear the air session. Uh, so I think we are, Ralph, I think we're going to be uh, pulling away from our Jets very early this year. <laughs> I mean, my deal is like, I love fantasy football and hopefully yeah, there's a Jet I can grab. But uh, when Sundays come now, I, I'm, I'm more about fantasy and watching my daughter's uh, soccer games good. than I am about watching <laughs> the Jets. If, if they're ever good again, then I'll, uh, you know, then I'll reinvest. Yeah, now that's kind of the, the approach I take too. Teddy Greenstein is from the Chicago Tribune. He has done a great job over the years of covering Notre Dame and the Big Ten and Northwestern and all things basically Midwest football. Teddy, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this and breaking down the Big Ten. Good luck. Hopefully, maybe at some point we may even run into each other at a press box this year. Is that possible? Maybe We'll see. I hope it happens. If it yeah. does happen, if it does happen, that means things will have been going well. That's right. I will be at some of those Notre Dame games. I certainly hope you will be and uh, enjoy being with you, Ralph, as always. And now, three and out. First down. The television schedule for college football's first few weeks of the season, which usually comes out in like June and gets you daydreaming about the season, is just coming out now. It's all come together in the last couple of weeks. CBS, for one, has made its picks for its midday SEC package, which will be the biggest game of the day most days in college football this season with only three of the Power Five conferences playing. Alabama and Georgia gets a prime time slot on October 17th. LSU Alabama, which played a rare day game last season after being a prime time fixture for years, gets a 6 p.m. kickoff on November 14th. And if I got this correctly, I think that's the same day as the Masters is being played at Augusta. So I believe CBS will go from the Masters to LSU Alabama. That, that same day, it's a very interesting sports calendar we have this year, folks. So all of those announcements were part of just an avalanche of t- TV schedules that dropped really not long before this podcast was recorded. One more note about the TV schedules. A big winner in all of this, the American Athletic Conference, with two of the Power Five leagues out of service, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. The American, which, you know, likes to tout itself as the Power Six or as part of the Power Six, well, they're next in line to get a lot of pretty good TV real estate that otherwise would have probably gone to especially the Big Ten and in some cases the Pac-12. Second down. Speaking of LSU, uh, the Tigers are down to six returning starters 
from last year's team after star receiver Jamar Chase and defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin opted out earlier this week. The amount of turnover for the national champs is stunning. And while LSU will always have lots of raw talent, it's hard to imagine that the Tigers don't go from national championship to a team that loses at least a couple of games in 2020. Third down, a broader point about those opt-outs that I touched on on Twitter a couple of days ago. And if you don't follow, at Ralph D. Russo AP. Jamar Chase, in his announcement, mentioned that COVID-19 wasn't necessarily the main reason he was skipping what would have been his junior season. I think this is something that is here to stay. Players who have already established their draft value will continue to sit out their junior years as to not risk hurting their stock because of maybe a slip in their own production or a coaching change or maybe their teammates aren't as good as they were the year before and they think that might reflect poorly on how they are evaluated. I don't think you'll see a waves of juniors sitting out in the coming years, but I do think you'll see a few here and there. And at some point, like skipping bowl games, it will become a normal thing that we come to expect in a college football season. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my new producer, Sarah McCrory, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Westwood One Podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.